0: Hello, and welcome to ADCES's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. If you enjoy The Huddle, please take a minute to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. I'm Kirsten Yale, Research Manager at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. Today, we're discussing how healthcare professionals can make their time with patients more meaningful and impactful through clear communication. Professor Catherine Bernard-Kelly is a chartered health psychologist in the UK specializing in the psychosocial impact and management of diabetes. She joins us to break down consultations and offers evidence-based tips for your practice. Catherine, welcome to the huddle. Hey, thanks very much, Kirsten. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. Well, we are so pleased to have you on for this conversation. And, you know, I've been so lucky to hear a few of your talks about your work in outcomes research, uh, you know, especially that intersection and communication between healthcare provider and patient. And it's really made an impact on the diabetes care space and both technology use and patient outcomes. So I am super excited to see where this conversation goes. But, you know, before we dive in, you have a really interesting path to how you became an outcomes researcher. And I would just love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners and share a little bit of your story. Yeah, so I'm now a professor of health psychology, but I didn't start with
1: the traditional academic route. I went to open university. So I left college and did a secretarial course and became a personal secretary to a consultant forensic psychiatrist in a secure unit of mentally ill criminals and was absolutely fascinated by the psychologists who were able to help people change behavior without the use of any medication. And I just thought it was the most fascinating thing. So I went to Open University alongside working and having a small family and, um, and did a psychology degree and uh, went from there.
0: So it's really interesting to hear that, I think, because it sounds like you can really relate to people in a different way than somebody that went that traditional academic route. I think so. I think I'm very fortunate
1: in that um, it's really helped me to understand a more broad perspective of the way that people live their lives and engage with
0: healthcare and their health and the healthcare systems. It makes a lot of sense. So how did you get involved? or How did you take this dive into diabetes management in particular?
1: So I did my master's degree at the University of Southampton. And my supervisor at the time had a list of projects that he needed to be done. And one of them was in patient professional communication at my local diabetes center. But they needed a research assistance as well. So I was able to get paid a very small amount of money to be able to do this project and do it as my master's
0: thesis. And it was absolutely fascinating. And I was just absolutely hooked with diabetes since then. You talked about communication and psychology. Which one of those like kind of drives you more or is it an equal thing? I think it's an equal thing because
1: I think if we are not able to understand each other when we communicate, then we're not able to access what is in our mind in a meaningful way for the other person to understand and then be able to help. So I think they go hand in hand.
0: Yeah, it almost sounds like one opens the door to another, maybe. Yeah, I think so. With that in mind, communication and psychology, what would you say are the challenges facing healthcare professionals today? Oh, my gosh. So the challenges, I think, facing healthcare
1: professionals are there is never enough time and they are very pressured. And I think because we live in a medical model of healthcare, we're not particularly good at matching that to the support of chronic conditions. So the medical model of healthcare works very, very well if you are in an accident, for example, or you need emergency surgery or any of those traditional medical things. But it just doesn't work so well when the majority of the therapy that you need is actually behavioural. And it's very, very difficult. So the thing is with behaviour change, is that everybody thinks that it should be easy. And if you need to do it, then you just will, or you just should. But I think if each of us looked inside ourselves and thinks of a time when we've tried to do something differently, whether that be maybe drink less alcohol or lose some weight or have a little bit more physical activity in our lives, actually we'll remember it's really not that easy to do. And when you think you have to do it, with a chronic condition such as diabetes, every day for the rest of your life, then that can be very, very daunting and overwhelming. And I think the challenge is that every three or every six months or however often we come back to see our healthcare professional, we start to feel very judged because their focus on biomedical outcomes, such as HbA1c, for example, really doesn't
0: fit with
1: the challenges of living With diabetes.
0: So how do we as healthcare providers bring that together? Because, okay, you mentioned three things. You mentioned time, which I've begun to think is much more valuable than currency. And then you mentioned biometrics. And then you mentioned, you're talking through some of the patient outcomes or the patient behavioral outcomes. How do we bring all of this together? So I think if we have more focused consultations, that would
1: primarily address the time issue. I think if we are able to really use the time before the consultation to think about what we want to get from it, from a patient perspective as well as a healthcare professional perspective, I think that would certainly help with focus. I mean, the challenge for healthcare professionals is that they are judged on outcomes over which they have absolutely no control. So audit data tells us year after year after year about how many people are not able to achieve glycemic targets of HbA1c. So healthcare professionals get judged on that negatively, but how can you make somebody take your advice? You can't. All you can do is provide best practice, clinical advice, to help your patients understand what actions are required so that they're able to follow them. Now, the challenge with that is, unfortunately, this is where the communication thing comes in, because evidence shows us over the years consistently that in consultations, approximately half of patients' concerns are never discussed. And in half of healthcare consultations, patients and doctors disagree on the central problem presented. So the difficulty is, if there is no agreement in understanding within that time-limited consultation, the chances are it's not going to be very meaningful or useful for
0: either side. Because if we're not listening, then we're never coming to that intersection or that agreement on how to move forward. Is that what I'm
1: hearing? Yeah, if we're not hearing what our patients are trying to say to us Mm -hmm. in a very difficult environment, and I think that telehealth has helped and made things worse in equal degrees. Because when people come to clinic, it's actually a very artificial and uncomfortable environment. They're coming into a hospital or a healthcare setting where immediately it's uncomfortable, and you're seeing a doctor, and the power imbalance in in the consultation really is all weighted towards the system, towards the doctor or the nurse or the healthcare professional. Patients feel they have very little power. And the difficulty is is that when you're in that position of feeling that you have very little power, it then becomes even more difficult to explain what your barriers and facilitators to effective self-management really are. So then we always kind of revert to being a five-year-old in front of the headmaster, (laughs) you know, and we just can't get out of there fast enough. And the challenge is, is, actually, that's the opposite of what every healthcare professional in the world wants. (laughs) They want to provide an environment where they can have an equal and open exchange with every one of their patients to support them in their diabetes self-management. So this whole kind of artificial environment is just so false and so difficult, whereas telemedicine has actually enabled people to have some distance between that environment So, you know, you're talking to your healthcare professional over the internet or over the phone, and it takes some of the pressure out of it. But like I was saying, the downsides of this are often, you know, you've got your doctor in a nice office with nice furniture and bookcases. And, you know, a lot of people just don't live in that world. You know, many people live in an environment where there's one computer at most, and everybody in the family is fighting for access to that computer to do schoolwork or working from home or whatever. And especially with COVID where we're all crammed in together and, and we have to like isolate at home, we can't get out so much. It's actually very difficult to have a private conversation about your health away from the rest of your family. So what happens is that people are out in the garden in the rain on the phone trying to talk to their healthcare professional because the house is just so chaotic and crowded and noisy inside, you know. But for many people, the distance, it has enabled a, a more useful conversation. So, you know, we need to work on the benefits of the telehealth and keep it going and try and minimize the downsides a bit, I think.
0: Yeah, it's been interesting to see through this whole pandemic how there has been, like I love the way you're talking about this, the benefits, the da- and there's downsides too of telehealth, but I think it's opening our eyes to some of these communication factors. And you've talked a lot about time and environment. And as I'm listening to you, I feel like those are all pointing towards listening. Like those are creating this space, not just for us to communicate, but for us to listen because that's half of communication right absolutely i think being able to listen and being able to genuinely listen to
1: genuinely hear what is being said and and the way that it's being said and the waiting to not rush to fill a silence to just wait because we know ourselves that when we're trying to think of something you know it takes us a few seconds sometimes to really be able to kind of articulate and pull together the different aspects of what we're trying to say. And there's a facetious study that says, you know, doctors in the day used to interrupt their patients 18 seconds after they started to describe the problem. And now it's 11 seconds. Nobody can think in 11 seconds, you know. But the other thing is, is not so much the listening, and the hearing, the hearing is more important than the listening. But it's about trying to hear without judgment. Because you know, non-verbal communication is as important as the spoken word. And if as a healthcare professional you're looking shocked or disappointed or horrified, or oh, you shouldn't do that, you know, people see this. <laughs> they, they mostly they see this. So um It's about hearing in a non-judgmental way and creating that safe space where people can think and then articulate. And then once they've articulated, there's the conversation. That's the really kind of the sweet spot of the conversation in that they're heard and there's the discussion.
0: You know, I don't think I've ever heard anybody really talk about that and like, you know, in the same two minutes, the difference between listening and hearing, but that's a really important factor, I think, for us all to walk away with. I think so.
1: And I think as
0: well, we all come with our own inherent bias. I mean,
1: that's just human nature. But I think being mindful that we have that inherent bias and that that actually frames the way that we hear people, that awareness in itself helps us to just step back for half a step and hear. And that's what I mean by the difference between listening and hearing. It's about hearing with an awareness that we're bringing something to this encounter
0: that may or may not be helpful. So I love that you bring up this point about inherent bias. It's something that I've you know, i heard over the past year, over and over again, especially as we start talking about technology, which is one of the other areas that you specialize in and you've done a lot of research. So. I would love to hear your thoughts on how we as healthcare providers can overcome these biases when we're working with people with diabetes.
1: So I think it's about acknowledging that it exists and really thinking about what do I bring to this encounter? What do I bring to this consultation? I bring expertise, I bring experience, and I bring a willingness to help and support every single one of my patients as they come through the door. And we know that healthcare professionals do that. And I think healthcare professionals get a very hard time sometimes, which is no wonder why burnout and distress is so high. Mm -hmm. But I think having that acknowledgement and that understanding then helps us to really think about, well, what can I do differently? And Julia Lawton at University of Edinburgh has done some really interesting qualitative work over a few studies actually, So I worked with her on a REPo study, insulin pumps versus structured education, a decade or so ago, and she interviewed healthcare professionals. So this was a randomized trial where the healthcare professionals didn't get a say in who was allocated an insulin pump. And when she interviewed them all afterwards, most of them said that they wouldn't have given an insulin pump to those patients that they would have chosen different patients, that they didn't think they could cope with the demands of the pump. They didn't think that they would stick with the technology. There's a whole load of reasons given. And actually, they all did really, really well and benefited a lot, both biomedically and psychosocially, from that technology. And I think this is one of the dangers of inherent biases. If we're not aware of it and we don't acknowledge it, we're in danger of restricting healthcare and technologies
0: artificially when there's really no good reason to do so. Would you say it's almost like we shouldn't be afraid of our biases just knowing that, just admitting we all have biases, especially the older we get, we've had experiences that have create biases. So just not being afraid of admitting we have them? And you can't be
1: a good bias. It's a good defense mechanism. They're there for a reason. We all have them, you're right, we all have them. And they're not all bad, you know? It's just being aware, it's this awareness of what am I bringing? Am I bringing something that might be unhelpful at this time? Or maybe is this a time to just ask more questions than come up with answers? Because I think if we don't know, the safest approach and the most useful approach is just to keep asking questions about how do you think that would fit into your everyday life? Have you thought about the different options? How did you weigh up the benefits and the downsides of these different options in the context of your life? What would happen if an alarm went off, for example, in a meeting or at the school gate, for example? How would that feel? What would that mean to you in terms of visibility of disease state? Just asking questions about tell me about your life with diabetes. Tell me about how you manage
0: diabetes. Tell me what you've unmet needs and let's explore together how we can fill them. So I love what I heard you say in the past couple of minutes about what am I bringing? And it makes me think, okay, what am I bringing? But I'm 50%. If If there's a conversation with two people, I'm only half the conversation, right? So understanding that what is that other person bringing? And we're both coming together, bringing 50% of this exchange, right? Absolutely. So then that brings me to this question of how can we prepare the people that we're working with to let them know that they are 50% of the conversation, they're important, creating that environment you're talking about, giving them the time. Is there some tips that you can provide that can prepare people to ask these questions?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, You couldn't have said it better. We are half of that conversation. And the other half of the conversation has to be ready as well. It's not just us being prepared. It's about everybody in the room being prepared. And I do feel that patients have a responsibility when they come to clinic to be ready with the questions that they need answering. And whether that be when they turn up and the receptionist gives them a piece of paper just with two questions that says, What I would like to talk about today and things I would like to be different after this consultation. And just by thinking about those two things really helps us to understand what are the challenges people are facing? Is there anything in particular that they want to cover today? Because we must address that if there is. And what are the unmet needs so we can work together to find solutions for those needs? Because this time, we are here to support people with diabetes in their self-management. And the kind of clue is really in the title. It's about Mm self-management. So with the best will in the world, healthcare professionals are not able to provide that best practice advice
0: if they don't know the unmet need. And, you know, Catherine, sometimes I think we live in this research world where there's all these new technologies, all these interventions, everybody's coming up with new and fantastic ideas. And and sometimes I take a step back and think, you know, if we just work on this one piece, this one piece that we think is maybe a bit of common sense. But if we take a step back again, we say it's not, we all need to stop and think. And this is not, we need to think about it every day with each interaction we have with each person in an individualized way. And just this simple practice could make changes far beyond what these new technologies and interventions are searching for. I really think so. I mean,
1: I like but every, i'm sure everyone knows that i have a problem with technology for the sake of technology <laughs> I, I think technology is absolutely fabulous when it meets an unmet need i think i think it has to meet an unmet need because there are burdens you know these these things are not easy to understand they increase visibility of disease state you know they've got a hassles factor that needs to be addressed and everything's a trade-off between what do they offer you versus how much interference are they going to create in your life, you know? Mm-hmm. But I do feel that if we asked more questions or, you know, maybe different questions about what do you think is going to be the benefit of this and how important is that benefit? Because when you say, what do you think it will do for you? The stark response is, it will improve my A1C. Mm-hmm. That's great. However, what does that mean to you? Right. What would having an improved A1C mean to you, your quality of life, and the way diabetes impacts on your life, your everyday living? That's a tougher question to answer. But I think we need to ask those questions and we need to understand the answers because otherwise we're not going to achieve the primary goal of reduced A1C. And all the audit
0: data shows us that. Yeah, those tougher questions are the ones that are going to drive change, right? I hope so. <laughs> I do feel that healthcare professionals get a very hard
1: time, and I think social media can be a brutal place sometimes. You know, it's like what they call it—a keyboard warrior. You know, I don't think anybody. I'm yet to meet somebody that wakes up in the morning and thinks, "Poof, I don't want to live a long, healthy, happy life. I'm not going to bother today." You know, I don't think people feel that, and equally. I don't think healthcare professionals walk into clinic in the morning and go, don't
0: really care today. Let's just get to five, shall we? Right. Nobody thinks this, you know. So, Catherine, if I could ask, I hate to say it, we're coming to the end of our time, and I would love to do this again because you're always delightful to talk to and always so insightful. Um, if you could look into your crystal ball, like ten years from now, where do you see diabetes care? Where do you see the changes in diabetes care? Gosh, in ten years'
1: time. I hope that people will be able to access the healthcare, the therapies, the technologies or whatever that they need in a way that suits them. And I hope that they're able to access this in a way that is completely irrespective of diversity, health literacy or socioeconomic status, because we have to stop processing people and we have to provide personalized healthcare for every one of our patients and that's the answer
0: oh boy you have my heart there you hit every piece every reason that I'm I'm here at this association doing these interviews at. so I truly appreciate this I appreciate the conversation your time and I hope we can do it again sometime soon Kirsten, thank you so much it's been an absolute delight I've loved every minute of it thank you you too Catherine enjoy your holidays we'll talk soon take care bye-bye thank you for listening to this week's episode of the huddle Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. Today, we heard from UK based Professor Catherine Bernard Kelly, a chartered health psychologist specializing in the psychosocial impact and management of diabetes. Catherine broke down the importance of communication and consultations and how we can better hear from and engage with clients. It is critical that as healthcare professionals, we not just listen, but ask questions and truly hear what clients are saying without judgment. We must understand the inherent bias we all carry and acknowledge its impact so we can offer comprehensive and whole-person care. The more we connect with clients and learn about their life, needs, and challenges, the more we can improve outcomes. And remember, ADCES is here to help you. Membership gives you access to the education, networking, and resources to improve your practice and optimize outcomes for your clients. Find out what ADCES can do for you at diabeteseducator.org forward slash join. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.